Welcome back, everybody. This is our second episode of Am I Wrong for Thinking This? And Peace. Okay, yep, number two. Greg and I are here to talk to you about what um, we usually just kind of come up with the idea and just see where it goes, which is probably the most fun, I think, and makes it very real. And I had um, decided that I wanted to talk about race versus economy. And I say that because... Um, I was back reading that book of mine that I don't think Greg has ever even uh, opened. The infamous book. <laughs> it's the infamous what, what book. Is the name, what is the name of the book again? It is the... Uh, the Color of Compromise. The color See, of compromise. That, was a, that was a test. <laughs> yeah. I at least know the name of the book. Yes. So have you actually read the book? I am through chapter two. And I... Well, have you actually read the book? Have you read the jacket like <laughs> I, I've, I've heretofore been unable to locate the actual book all right i got you um, but I, i'm i'm gonna get right on that i, I bet he is i bet he is <laughs> um so in the book uh and i i listen to it on audible i like to admit because I, I think it's a little bit of cheating if you say you read a book when you really listened so i, I will repeat that um oh so you have not read the book <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I have not read the book, but I've listened to it. Yeah. What, what you have done is just plugged in your earphones and listen to someone else read the book to you. I did. I, I listened to it twice, though. So does that kind of even out reading? Not really. No. It just means All you right. listen to it twice. All right. Well, but to your credit, I have not even listen to the book but go ahead all right thank you so what we talked about because we're reading this for a class at my church as we we kind of mentioned i think in episode one but um so what we started discussing the first thing that was discussed in the in our class was they brought up the economy and they brought up how the economy is really the reason this whole racial and racism began with black Americans, um, African Americans. And I was kind of thinking, am I wrong for thinking this? Or is someone going to get mad at me for thinking this? But (laughs) I kind of think that there's a little more to the deep seated racism than just saying the economy drove that because I'm thinking a lot more has to happen in a person's mind to allow what I'm reading in this book and what I've learned before and what I've seen in documentaries and what I've I've, I've heard people talk about, especially moving to Alabama when I was in my late twenties and, and just hearing stories. I'm like, that's not just the economy. That's gotta be yeah, but more hardcore in the person than to, that. To our credit, we, Alabama, we have the best races. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> racism is not something that we Alabamians just, play around with lightly i mean <laughs> if, if the racists in alabama they go all in so <laughs> no but to to your point i well i i i don't necessarily wrong, think you're wrong for thinking this i will say that i would i would agree that the economy and racism are probably undeniably intertwined and that, that traces all the way back to the very reason that most 
African Americans or Black Americans, as I prefer to say, or really I prefer to just say Americans because that's what we are. But yeah. if we're using it to identify our self-identified group, and the reason that most Black Americans are here is is truly because of the institution of racism, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And the reason that slavery. I'm sorry, I said racism. I meant slavery. Yeah. Um, the reason that the reason that slavery became so prevalent in in especially the southern states was the economy because the South was known for you know cotton was its cash crop and the South was known to have a lot of cotton and obviously they needed someone to, to pick that cotton and so mm-hmm. they thought what better way to lower our overhead than to send some ships across the middle passage, kidnap an entire race of people, bring them back into the ports in America, set up slave auction blocks right outside of the ship ports, start auctioning off human beings as chattel, put them in a field, beat them into submission, and let them pick our cotton. Therefore, there, therefore, our overhead is zero at that point. So I, I think that what you find is um, you find that the economy, like I said, is I, I think the, <laughs> the birth or the genesis of, of overt racism in America, it stems from slavery and, it, and therefore it's, to, you know, that the economy was a driving force for that. Well, so I guess it could, I'm sorry, I still think that's, that's too easy because you could say, okay, we don't need, we don't need this race anymore because, well, we're just, you know, for what did happen in history, which I think I'd like you to kind of talk about that, um, that, that part of it when it did change over, like, you know, in Texas, we talked about Juneteenth, like you had mentioned that. Um, when we were talking. And so I want you to elaborate on that. But for me, I go back to thinking, okay, so what you're, you're talking about, we're looking at 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, and we've developed this group, brought in this group of people. And we're like, okay, you are going to work for us. And we've created slavery. But then I think of, if we want, we want to say Europeans, I'm going to show my non, um, you know, but more of the white Americans who um, came over and established living on this land, like after Christopher Columbus, who I think is a favorite of yours. Um, (laughs) I think, I think we, I think we all, all know from the last episode that Chris, Chris C is not one of my favorite people. Not one of your favorites. So, but when I think of, okay, 300 years, 400 years, and you, continually see people being treated a certain way and then in the book that uh, back to the color of compromise and we talk about i'm not gonna say his name i can't remember i'll say it next time i promise i'll plug his the author's name um but um, did the narrator not actually name the author while you were listening <laughs> i just i i just don't remember names very well so it's like no oh that's funny you're talking about when he was talking and reading yes um i have the book i just don't use it when i work out i'm sure i don't (laughs) doubt that you have the book (laughs) all right 
Actually, I have it on iPad. I don't know if that counts either. So, anyway, I want to go back to my main point here. Okay, okay, sure. (laughs) Get me off task. So, in in the book, we kind of moved into, we we discussed the economy, and economy was thrown out. And sometimes I kind of think economy is thrown out because we don't want to think about the fact that human beings chose to create other human beings a certain way without a real reason. And so I just don't see that as a real reason. But they did have a reason. And and the reason was they needed workers. They needed someone to tend the fields. They needed someone to to take care of the livestock. And so I, I think that they did have a reason. And I, I think that, again, I go back to my, my original premise is that the economics of, of, of that time dictated, well, it didn't necessarily dictate, but it, it allowed them to, to institutionalize slavery and, and make it the norm, so to speak. Now, you, you mentioned an interesting point. What happens when you don't need those workers anymore? Or what happens when those workers realize that, you know, they, they have just as much right to be free as anyone else? And and I think what happens is that you've got to get rid of that that race or that group of people. And so you begin to demonize them and you begin to treat them as, as less than human. And and so mm-hmm. Which I, is what yeah. That that actually I, I kinda cut you off. Sorry. No, that's but fine. In the book it, it talks about that and we um and I think we talked about hereditary last time we talked about hereditary hedonism and we talked about um but for me i think what i do is i go back to okay first when i read this i don't want to get too off task but um or topic but when i read this book i don't see me in it and i and i don't know if that's also am i okay thinking this and i i I don't but what 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 do you mean by when you say i don't see me well i don't see i don't read this book and then get get defensive. I don't read it and go, Oh God, that's what I did. I know that the beginning of becoming Americans in white Americans, I think I take more offense and get mad because it was all under the guise of being Christians too, because the book talks about the missionaries coming over and we all, you know, believed in homo homogenesis of everybody comes from Adam. And so we all, just like we talk, I'm rooting for everybody. I root for everybody. Sure. And, and I'm like, so everybody could learn what I believe in my faith. I would love to share it. I'm not asking or telling someone to become that, but I I want, I want that's, that's part of our faith is to go out and help people and be there for them. And if they want to learn about us, then I can teach that. And I'm not saying every missionary does it the right way, but the missionaries we read about based on how it was in the book, it was this, well, you know, it's, it's our job to be missionaries. We're Christians. We need to go teach them about Christ, but you can't give, you can't be free. You can learn about God. You can, you can be baptized, but we need to go ahead and set the law here that even if this happens, all of you become Christians and you live and love Christ, you can't be free. So it was under the terms of how the missionaries and how society had set it up at that time. And that part, that that's where I'm telling you, okay, that's a little more deep seated than, well, we want the economy to go well. <laughs> keep us so, here. so, so are you ready for this? I'm, because I'm here ready. we go. <laughs> <laughs> 
am All I right. wrong? Am I wrong for thinking this? <laughs> so here, here's my here's my take on that, and okay. and the we we, we kind of got into it in the first podcast, and maybe in in some just <laughs> of our some of our run of the mill telephone conversations that we have, <laughs> but. Well, I don't fault the missionary for going out and, you know, following the, the edict to go forth and, and teach the gospel. Here's, here's my issue. The Bible can be used to, and, and the Bible can, and it has been used to subjugate people, subjugate people. And, and here, here's, here's, here's a perfect example is Christianity and slavery. So, they bring the slaves into America, right? And the slaves practice whatever religion they practice in Africa, or they practice no religion at all. And I think most Christians during that period would have you believe, rightfully or wrongly, that they practice no religion, that they were savages that, that needed to be taught. And so they taught them, um, they taught them the Bible, and so when they taught them the Bible, what they taught them were the laws and the rules to keep them under control. What better way to keep them under control than to convert them to Christianity and say, okay, but you've got to live by these rules. And even point out passages in the Bible to justify their enslavement. Okay? Because growing up, we all learned the story about the black people being cursed all the way back to the, to the sons of Noah because he looked upon his, his father's nakedness. Uh, that's, that's, the common, that's the coming example or justification used for the enslavement and disenfranchisement of black people by a lot of Christian, quote-unquote, Christian racists is, well, this is... This is a generational curse that, that goes all the way back to the biblical days. Oh, wow. I've not heard. I've never heard that. Oh, really? Put that way. I haven't. No, so I need to look that up and understand that. Um, oh, yeah. So that's yeah. a common, that, that is one of the common uh, justifications for the enslavement of black people is that the, it's a generational curse that was placed upon them because Black people in in Africa were considered to be the descendants of Noah's son, and I always get him confused. I can't. I can never remember if it's if it's Ham or or, or the other. Can you give me the names of Noah's son? Noah's sons? Oh yeah. goodness, no! I don't know Noah's as well. Actually, <laughs> um, I didn't see the movie either. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I've actually, I just studied Noah and I didn't study a lot about his sons until, yeah, I read it, but I don't remember it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, so yeah, so that, okay, so I understand that. But again, that, that takes me back to, you, you can't take the Bible out of context. You can't take a verse. You can't take a chapter. And I don't want to throw out, there's something called the unpardonable sin, which completely separates nations in past to now and Christ. So that's like a whole Bible study that we could do. Right. But so I, same... I don't think that they believed they being the um, racist that espoused that racist theory. I don't believe they thought they were taking or think today because that's still the belief that a lot of 
people have. I don't think that they believe they were taking it out of context. I mean, they read it to you in context. No, right. I'm just saying that I don't think you can teach anybody anything in the Bible out of context. I think that's it doesn't work, but that we have it all over the place. What I'm thinking is with these missionaries or with just that is an example of, okay, yeah, the economy is what drove it. But just as you go in is people and I'm just not proud of them as people of the same faith that they go in and, and want to teach them. And some of them, we don't know, you know, we've talked about this kind of ingrained thinking. They might have been the second generation, third generation kids who grew up as missionaries. And it's like, Oh, we're so nice. We go and teach the black people about, you know, we teach the slaves about Christ, but we also let them wait on us and do what they're supposed to do. And I'm like, those are not, those are not, the same thing in the Bible. Exactly. <laughs> and so, but that's where you and I have always kind of talked about this um, kind of what we're taught. And I think we're seeing that now, what you've been taught, what I've been taught, which I think we should, we could kind of talk about um, um, this type of cognitive or just thinking of reactions that, sure. that we'll probably get into. That's a whole other podcast. But um, so are these people, you know, as missionaries teaching the way they want to teach and changing it the way that they want to change it? Or do they just actually, they really believe that. And those are kind of two different people. Neither are correct because. But sometimes they're yeah. the same person, right? They're, they're teaching it the way that they want to teach it because that's truly what they believe because it's either been indoctrinated or ingrained in right. them. So right. And they, they don't know. So it's, only I think very unique individuals can rise up and kind of go, this is not who this should be. And so then I kind of think of what I think of is how they're learned and it's become ingrained. They're kind of in too far and can't get out. So let's just keep doing this with the economy. Let's keep using people this way because if we decide we don't need them, doesn't that make us really bad people for how we've been treating them? Well, and so they kind of get stuck. Well, if they're having that thought at this point, doesn't it make us really bad people if we don't need them anymore? I mean, they've already jumped the shark when they brought them over as slaves in the first place. So, so to be yeah. having that that moment of of <laughs> introspective thought after after you realize you can't enslave them anymore, what do we do with them? I mean, you you've already you know, jump the shark at that point. I, well, maybe I said it the wrong way. I guess I'm just thinking it. I, I think it's, it's just more of a, and again, I think just the seared conscience, which is also biblical, like not to say everything is biblical that we talk about, but it, the seared conscience is, is you, you just, you just push it aside and then you got to cover it up and cover it up and cover it up. And that just makes you angrier. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where anger comes out. And then, then I immediately think, of those pictures from the fifties and sixties and even later. And probably now you can find them that where I, you see this, you see the, the white woman holding the sign and she's just standing there and it has this horrible words on it. And then her son or daughter sitting there smiling next to her. And I'm like, how are you thinking that? But that's, that's the there. indoctrination. That's mm -hmm. it's, it's ingrained in someone at some point. And then yep. it's, it's, carried on from generation to generation. Right. I mean, just a couple of days ago, 
these um, police officers in in North Carolina pepper sprayed a group of mostly African American voters who were marching on their way to the polls to vote, and then they were going to have a small rally, and so they basically turned the corner, and the police department opens up on them with tear gas and starts gassing small kids and elderly and and people in wheelchairs and things like that. And when you see that photograph, you could you could place that photograph beside a picture of a protest in 1960 in Birmingham, Alabama. And it's the yeah. same exact photo and you have as as a as a black person, you have the same reaction. You're like Oh wow, mm-hmm. you know. This, yeah. So, yeah, um, it's just let's let's take I've, a quick break <clears throat> and, and come right back, okay? So, what I'm trying to try and capture in um, talking about the book and what I'm seeing in the book, and actually just me reading the book is again, again, you did not I, read you know. the book. <laughs> you listened <laughs> to the book. <laughs> Oh God, whatever. Okay, when I listen to, see, I tried to be honest at first, and now I'm going to hit my button every time. So when I listen to chapter two for the second, you know, my second time, it, I have to remember. I, I really, I, and I don't know if this is wrong. And I think, I feel like, um, people would get mad at me saying I don't feel like that's me in the book I'm reading about. I don't, I don't think that's me. I don't read it and get. Um, defensive or read it and think, oh my gosh, I'm a horrible person because I'm, I'm good with who I am. I think I'm a kind person. I think I mess up, but I, I also try really hard to, to learn and understand. That's why I'm reading this book to get more understanding. But so I think as a white American, I don't read this and assume that's me in the book. And I think a lot of white Americans actually react to it and become defensive or, or, or react to it and want to be apologetic and they don't even know what they're apologetic for. Sure. Sure. That's kind of coming from me as a white person, but I think for you, it might, what do you think of hearing that? Well, I, I, I agree with you. And I, and I think that there are probably two schools of thought on that. I think the first school of thought is you have to ask yourself just, just as you have to ask yourself anytime you get defensive, why am I getting defensive about that? What what is it in what I've read that gives me pause to or, or makes me react in a, in a defensive manner? Now right. you're a perfect example of that. You read it and you read it with the with the observation that I don't see myself in that, and that, and I think that becomes that's a sense that's a sense of self. You know, you you don't consider yourself to be a racist person. You don't consider yourself to have racist ideology. And so when you read that, that those economic and, and racist thoughts may be intertwined, you say, I don't see myself in that, you know, as a, as a, as a black person reading that book, you know, my reaction is, is obviously quite different than that. You know, <laughs> my reaction, you, like when you read the book, Right. Sure, sure. Okay. When I read the book as opposed to <laughs> listening to it on an iPad, <laughs> I'm sure that my reaction will be quite different than yours because I'm coming at it from the standpoint of not necessarily the oppressed, but as as someone who can relate to instances where the economy and, and racism 
are have been you know intertwined and and i i i call it economic racism i, I love that term because i see it and i I've, I've seen it i see it i've lived it and i live it and and now i see it playing out in another generation i watched my father live through it you know where the economic racism that existed there was not you know related to the slave trade they were a generation or two generations removed from slavery but the economic racism was still there and i saw it, right. i saw it manifest itself in the sense of redlining um right and, and mortgages not being given to black families in order to keep black families out of certain neighborhoods and and deeds that re, that contain re, con, restricted covenants that said if you want to sell this home it's fine, but you can never sell it to a minority. And, and those were the kindly worded deeds, <laughs> you know, the, the, right. the blunt deeds. And again, Alabama has the best racist. So in Alabama, the deed would probably say this, this land can never be sold to, to a nigger, you know, yeah. and, and it was in your face. And that, to yeah. me, that's, that's a, that's a type of economic racism, you know, and again, that's a, that's an economic racism that, that my parents' generation faced. And so I can relate to what the book is saying about how, again, when I read the book, I can probably relate to, to <laughs> what the book is saying about oh my economic gosh. racism. Like, I just, it just, it like, just kind of, as you were just talking a minute ago, I'm like, yeah, it is combined for you. Sure. It, Sure. It's not combined for me. Right. Because well, it's never been combined for me. Yeah, and that's not to say it's not. Again, I, I've never right. I've never but, been I've never been a white but, woman, but I've been black most of my life. <laughs> so most I, of the time. But that's what I think is important. Like and we I think you and I both hear this in banter and arguing and discussions in the news, if you put yourself in there to listen to it on either side, but you hear a white person typically come up and go, well, that's not me. I'm not that person, which you've just heard me say that. And I still believe that. But I, then when I hear you say, and I've heard, as you said before, it's like, well, we as a black people. So I say, but me as a white or just American, but yours is you put yourself in that as we, because it makes sense. Yeah. And like you, you're directly affected by slavery actually every day. That was kind of harsh. Can I say that? Someone's going to get mad at me for saying that. But <laughs> am I wrong for thinking this? Here, here's I the thing. I mean, you, you, have, you have squarely nailed it from, from my point of view. I mean, because when you, were, when you were talking about your reaction to the book, you were like, well, you know, I, I don't put myself in, in that category of people. But you're reading it to see how, how am I like the narrative that being that is being cast in the book. When I read that, I read it to see how it, how is this author explaining what a race of people have have possibly gone through, and what is the what is one of the root causes of of this this racism? You know, I just gave you the example yeah. of my father's generation and mm -hmm. the the redlining. You know, they're they're not allowed to work certain jobs and they're not allowed to live in certain neighborhoods. 
and they're not allowed to they're not allowed to literally shop in certain stores. Well, this is all tied to the economy. And those were things that they were not allowed to do in that generation because of racism. Right. Things that were that were directly tied to the economy. They were allowed to pay taxes. <laughs> they were allowed to work, <laughs> but there were certain protections that were afforded to to perhaps the Caucasian race that were not afforded to the black race. Okay, so let's fast forward to another generation. And so right. now you have my generation coming up. Mm-hmm. Are we still facing... Are we still facing the same economic racism? Well, yeah, possibly, but in a different manner. You know, that the economic racism that that I see is certainly not nothing like the economic racism that my father would have would have seen. However, that doesn't make it any less existent. You know, it just makes it manifest in a different way. Right. And and, yeah. and I think the economic racism that we see in, in my generation is probably from a standpoint of it's it's almost like you you're given just enough to be enough, but there's always that. I think they always used to refer to it as the Bryce ring being just out of reach, you know. And they say, well, well, you've made it, you've made it, you've made it. Well. What is made it? You know, people talk about the example that I use is Shaquille O'Neal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's say Shaquille O'Neal is a really rich guy, right? No. Right. He's, he's a rich guy, but he's not wealthy. So right. when Shaquille O'Neal was playing basketball, he, was a, he, he made a lot of money and he was a rich guy. But the guy that was writing his paycheck, that guy was wealthy. Okay. <laughs> so there's a difference between wealth and there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. And, you know, generationally, you can have, you can trace <laughs> generational wealth back in white families, generations. You can go all the way back to, you know, when, when my, when my forefathers first stepped off the ship at Ellis Island, you know, with, with $3 in their pocket and then they started a business and they, they raised that business and, you know, Smith and Sons became Smith and Sons and Daughters. Well, the black community, we can only trace that story back so far. And it's usually only one or two generations. You know, you you can find Smith and Sons maybe in the black community, but rarely because of the economic racism that existed for so long and still exists, but just not to that extent. Rarely will you be able to trace that generational story of Smith and Sons back past two generations. Does that make sense? No, it does. And it kind of makes you realize there's just there's less less depth. There's less history. But the thing is, there, there is history. It's starting. It's just, it, it's just so ingrained and it's so much indoctrinated, I think, in that it just is going to take a long time for it to change. But I like that. I like how you talk about it because you actually go, there is change. I have, I'm, I have less, um, 
less worry than my dad did. Sure. But I still have it. And then you talk about, what about you with your daughter? Like you said, I've had conversations with her. Oh, sure. I mean, and, and those conversations are just, you know, here, here's the thing about <clears throat> this. This is exactly what you're saying. My dad had to, my dad, he was just a super smart guy. I mean, he was just a brilliant guy. In any other world in which that economic racism didn't exist, my dad would be a multi-billionaire because he was just that smart. He was that brilliant. My dad actually had to skip his 11th grade year in school so that he could stay home with my grandfather and work the farm. Okay. So you fast forward and I'm in school and my guidance counselor, who I'm not sure where she is, but in the, in the 12th grade, my guidance counselor was meeting with all of our classmates. Right. And so she's, you know, she's working out the college plan and things like that. Except when I went in to meet with my guidance counselor, my guidance counselor said, mm, I think the best thing for you is to ask your dad to get you a job at the plant. Because my dad worked at a power plant, a coal-firing power plant. <laughs> and so my, my high school guidance counselor told me that she thought it would be my best hope <laughs> if, my job could get, if my dad could get me a job working at the power plant that he worked out. So I went home. And I told my mom and dad, well, I talked to Miss, and she may be dad's house there, and they, I talked to Miss Brandon today, and even if, she's, <laughs> even if she's not, I don't care. I, don't I talked care. to Miss Brandon today, and, and she said that you should try to get me a job at the, at the power plant when I graduate high school. And my mm -hmm. dad became furious, and he was like, no, I'm not getting you a job at the power plant. You can, if you want to get a job at the power plant, you can get a job at the power plant, but you need to go to college. And keep in mind that I had um, at that point, two older sisters who had gone to college and were working on, one was working on their PhD at the time, the other was working on a master's. So that's what I knew growing up. Neither yeah. one of my parents went to college and, and probably, I, I think that my dad's sister went to college, but for the most part, that was a, that was a far off dream and not just something that, that you thought would happen. Yeah. So there, there's the struggle in my generation is I have the guidance counselor telling me that my economic worth is probably working in the power plant. And this is not, you know, this is, this is a public school. Now, fast forward to another generation. My daughter is, you know, she, she's in a private school. And so she's being taught that you can be anything that you want to be, Ella. And, and, and that's what she's been told by teachers. You know, she's, she started there when she was three years old. She started learning Chinese in the third grade. She's learning Spanish. She's learning French. They're doing complex mathematical problems. They're doing STEM research. Mm -hmm. However, Ella and I were in, the, in Target one day, and we were in the toy section because that used to be our deal is we would go to Starbucks, read, talk to people and then I would take her to Target to buy her a toy because she's not spoiled <laughs> at all. And so we're in the toy section and she's playing with toys and she's picking them up, putting them down, picking them up, putting them down. And I have to 
And I tell her without even thinking about it, I said, Ella, don't, don't just pick up the toy and put it down. Don't pick it up unless we're going to buy it. And she said, why? And I said, because if you pick it up and you don't buy it, people will think that you're trying to steal it. And wow, <laughs> it dawned on me that right after I said that, it, just a heaviness came over me because it dawned on me that that's the same thing my parents used to tell me in the in this store, is that they don't think you have the money to buy this stuff, so they assume if you're picking it up, then you're probably going to try to steal it. And now these are the talks that little black kids were getting when I was when I was eight, nine years old. And unfortunately, it was so ingrained in me, and I didn't even realize it, that I was giving my daughter that talk yeah. when she's eight years old, 42 mm-hmm. years later, and her dad's a lawyer, her mom's a counselor, she could buy anything that she wanted to buy, um, but I'm giving her a talk about how society perceives her as a little black child in a store buying something because of economic racism. Yeah. So. Wow. But what, what did you, what did you do? So after I realized what I had said, I, I, I looked down at her and I was like, I cannot believe I just said that. And I apologized to her. I said, Ella, I'm so sorry. And she said, for what? You know? And, and she's like, and I said, Ella, I should never have said that to you. I said, if you want to play with that toy, you pick it up and play with it. And it doesn't matter what people think because at the end of the day, that's not who we are and that's not who you are. And so I, I ended up apologizing to Ella because it should never have, have been said to her. But again, it was just so, it's something that's so ingrained and it's societal and it's generational that yeah. it was still inside of me, you know? Well, yeah. And that's, that's what I think that ingrained is, it's not a bad, it's just an is because I mean, I have stuff that's ingrained in me too. And that's actually how this whole podcast started is you and I talked one time and I go, can I ask you this? Are you okay <laughs> to say this? You know, and like, I had this reaction watching a movie and, and it was because of a black person with a white person. And like, we just went into a lot of different conversations because right. it's, it's this ingrained, but if you sit back in after you and I talked about it and we finished our two and a half hour conversation <laughs> that we'll always kind of quote about, is I felt better. Sure. I felt better about myself and I felt closer to you because I could ask you that instead of thinking, I just don't know if I'm a nice person. So that what we talked about, the reacting <clears throat> is, is I think us just learning and what we we've seen before, but kind of learning how to change it because we are different. We are a different generation. And if we don't start thinking we're a different generation and it being okay, we're not going to get anywhere. And our kids aren't going to get to get to be, they're not going to get to live in what we're getting to live in based on you talking about what your dad lived in, you know? And so for me, I want to, I want to grow closer to everybody. Sure. I don't, I don't just want to stay where, you know, I think I'm accepted and, but that's going to take getting to know each other. And I think a lot of times we, with those ingrained thoughts and those ingrained um, cognitions that we, we got from our <clears throat> just growing up, mine are completely different than yours. Mine are just like, you don't want to have that. You want to change that thought in reaction to Ellen. Right. It, it's, it's protective and loving 
mine is more like, I think, I, I don't want to think that like we've, we've talked about like the wrong side of the tracks, um, talking about biracial marriage, um, you know, talking about when, you know, I brought a friend home who I had started dating who was Hispanic and that wasn't very accepted, but understanding what that actually was, was not because he was Hispanic, but because our parents' generation was like, this is going to be really hard sure. if you're going to do this. And I'm like, no, it's not. Right. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> and so, so I think um, in the wrong side of the tracks actually is what takes us back to that economy versus race. Absolutely. It's not a, it's not a versus anymore based on this conversation and this, you know, 45 minute discussion of it's a, what do you call it? A, economic. I think racism. it's just, it, it's, it's, it's yeah. intertwined and it's not something that unfortunately can, can ever be separated. And I think that that is because I'm, I'm a firm believer that racism is, is something that it can be taught, but just because you're taught to be a racist doesn't mean that you remain a race. You have to remain a racist. You're, you're better than your situation. You know, that's something that, that little black kids are taught. You're better than your situation. You're better than your situation. Well, the situation in my father's generation was institutionalized racism. Okay. The situation in my generation has been more hidden racism and subtle racism. So Mm -hmm. the question that remains is what will be the situation in my daughter's generation? You know, will, will they Mm -hmm. finally be the generation to say, you know, economic racism is real and it's something that, that should not be. So we need to institute change, but you have to remember that, that, People have been trying to institute these changes for a long time. And, yeah. you know, Martin Luther King, a, a lot of people forget that at the time that he was assassinated, his his drive had, had kind of moved away from the quote unquote civil rights struggle into more of a, hey, how do we get fair wages for you remember he was in Memphis. The reason he was in Memphis is because the sanitation workers were on strike. And he was there yeah. to give a, give a speech. And so the, most of the, the majority of the sanitation workers during that time period were African-Americans. And so it was, you know, the belief is, is that once you tie the, once you break down the barrier of the economic racism, then racism crumbles on its own, you know. Actually, it could. And I would never have thought that or understood what you just said if we hadn't had this whole conversation. It wouldn't have made as much sense because just um, just to touch on it, we kind of talked about, like, for me, the economy and being poor and then gaining money, that can change. But when it comes to being a Black American, that doesn't change. It, it, It doesn't change. And as we get into part two, I think yeah. we'll talk about more about why that doesn't change. And the obvious reason is that you can stop being poor and you can stop, mm-hmm. you, you can make money and stop being poor. Right. And so your economic outlook changes. I can make right. money and I can stop being poor and my economic outlook changes, but I don't stop being black. And so 
even though my economic outlook changes, the racism doesn't necessarily change for me. Right. And so when I go into the bank to ask for the loan, I, I would I would be lying if in the back of my head. I'm not th- thinking, gosh, I hope this guy's not a racist because those are yeah. thoughts that we have, you know, but we'll. And those. Those are thoughts that, that we don't have, that we sure. don't ever have. So that's where to kind of wrap up our podcast before um, y'all can enjoy part two of this is I can read a book about the history of racism and I can separate me from that. And, and I'm still okay with saying that, but I also can acknowledge what's happening in the book and, and truly believe the book. Because I can also acknowledge Greg saying we as black people and coming from slaves because you're, you're just still, we're all directly affected. We're indirectly affected. You're directly affected. In fact, I, I, I have to acknowledge that I am affected because the lack of things happening and that's where the economy comes in. Absolutely. That is well said. You, you have tied that up into a a nice bow and you have set us up for part (laughs) two in which we will explain the two different types of suits that black men wear (laughs) (laughs) as well as um, Mm -hmm. the, the two different talks that, that black children get. Yep. All right. All right. We will we will see y'all next time. Thank you for being with us and we enjoyed the conversation. And so don't forget to email if you're interested in giving a comment or giving feedback. And tune in for part two. That's right. All right. Y'all have a good night.